All right, well, good morning, everyone. Welcome. And if you've been paying attention, uh, just changed from six weeks to seven weeks on our series on the Summer on the Mount. So I just thought it would might be um, a good idea in our last week that we're going to be fully online, potentially. Um, there have been lots of discussions that I've been involved in in different groups and one-on-ones um, about, you know, just how does a Christian respond to the whole coronavirus, the pandemic, to the lockdowns and everything. And I know there's a lot of opinions there. Uh, the elders are wrestling with that. And so I just thought it would be a good chance to do that um, before things change up here. And I'll do it in a, in a sense that we can kind of go through the Sermon on the Mount as well. And so then what I was planning today, my last lesson on Sermon on the Mount will be next week. Possibly that will be pre-recorded online uh, if Sunday School is not going to be live next week. We're still trying to figure those things out. So um, do please be praying for the elders. Uh, if, if as many differences as you might have with other brothers and sisters um, that, you know, are probably there on the session and they're, they're wrestling with these things and trying to make some practical decisions and, and weigh the, the different and difficult biblical principles involved. And in the end of the day, it's, it's a great reminder why we have leadership, right? Someone at the end of the day needs to make a, a very specific, definite decision. And so we Keith, want to submit Keith to that. Ed. Uh, who's talking? This is Ed Keith. Yeah, um, go ahead. A, le a letter should be going out today if it didn't go out from Guy. We're going to meet next week. There'll be two services. We're going to continue to video one of the two services. And there'll be a sign up over the computer uh, for either of the two services so that we don't uh, go above the, uh, the 50 limit. Uh, we'll have bulletins at the seats so that people don't have to be touching the bulletin pile. They're asking that people use you know, just general consensus wisdom in terms of you know, keeping their hands sanitized and keeping distance using the social distance. And then we'll have certain rows that are marked off so to allow for spacing. So watch for the letter. It should, if it's not out already, it should be out soon. All right. So when that letter comes out, if you guys have questions, talk to your elder about it. Um, would not doubt that we'll try something for a week or two and, and make adjustments based on feedback and, and our experience. And so Sunday school itself will kind of stay flexible. Maybe we'll pre-record. Maybe we'll take a week or two off. We'll just so we'll just stay tuned and and we'll respond um, as best we can. So. Let me, let me go ahead and start in prayer. Our Father, we, we thank you for your word. Uh, we know it's our objective truth, and it, it provides everything we need for life and godliness. And yet we do come into issues like this um, where we don't have a chapter and verse to cite, per se. And so help us to, to be patient and generous, um, to understand how to apply your word to our everyday lives, and may this be a great chance, um, as so many in our neighborhoods and families and workplaces will be discussing this issue, to not pass up the chance uh, to bring Christ, to bring the gospel to bear on a specific situation. So help us to learn today uh, and to, to even have disagreement, perhaps, um, but in a charitable way that honors you and really is salt and light to the world. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so here's kind of my outline for today. Um, really just have four of my own slides, and then definitely want to have some time for discussion. Um, 
how does the Sermon on the Mount inform this? Uh, and I just overall, with that question, I think sometimes we can we can take a specific situation like coronavirus and and jump to the specifics. And and really, for the most of us, this is this is in the broad general category of trials and hardships and suffering um, that the Bible has a lot to say about. And probably the people you are with who maybe are in fear and need a word of encouragement, you know, the details of coronavirus, the science and the laws and the politics behind that aren't, aren't your central issue. Um, so don't, don't forget that. Don't jump over the, the general category and, and the really big Bible themes um, that are helpful here just to get to a, a specific topic. And I'm going to do that today by walking through the Sermon on the Mount as a good summary. And then we do want to look at distinguishing biblical truth from practical wisdom. And you'll, you'll see a lot in that discussion, the kind of the way I handed social justice last summer. Um, what are the biblical principles on, on maybe the different sides involved? And then a reminder to obey our leaders and, and come in unity and then open up for discussion. So first thing is, um, what does the Sermon on the Mount speak to this? Has Jesus talked about coronavirus? Well, in some ways he has. Um, so we, and this, uh, this outline should look somewhat familiar to you if you've been in our study. So the Sermon on the Mount starts with the Beatitudes, just Christian character, things that you would expect to be true of every believer. All eight of those Beatitudes, they're not like spiritual gifts. These are descriptions of a Christian that has been overwhelmed by grace and is indwelt with the Spirit. And so the questions you could ask yourself is, what has been my impulsive response to this crisis? Not, not the chance to prepare for a nice Sunday school discussion or community group discussion, but as, as things change, as, as the virus impacts and there's the threat of death, as the government locks down, what is your primary and impulsive response to all that? Do your social media comments reflect that um, of one who is poor in spirit, pure in heart, a peacemaker, one who rejoices in persecution? First uh, Peter 1, 6 and 7, in this you rejoice, so now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So when you face a trial that just might seem overwhelming for some of us, how, how do you come out of that? And in places that you obviously fall short, it's a great chance to repent, to cry out to God, uh, to cry for maturity. Um, to, to run to him. And yet sometimes it's in crisis where we really know our character. And when everything's going good and fine and 401k is high and life is good and, you know, our character isn't really tested. And so this is actually can be very much a blessing that we get to know our own hearts and bring them to God. The second thing there, we looked at salt and light. How are we peculiar people in a fallen world? So here's a question to ask yourself. How would your neighbor see you as different from the world? in the midst of this crisis, in how you responded? Are you, are you one who is steady and confident uh, despite maybe losing your job or the threat of it or the inconvenience, a, inconvenience of suddenly homeschooling your children or a myriad of other things? Um, just being locked away with three toddlers in the house for weeks on end, that's a, that's a real challenge. And are we looking different than the world? That's what the salt and light asks us. Also, you could ask yourself, are you willing to risk your own help 
your own health to help others. So there's a lot of specific decisions we need to make here with um, social distancing or not. Um, I definitely am concerned. The, the ones who are most vulnerable um, from this virus are, are the ones you want to go meet, and it, you really can't. Or, or if you do, it's obviously at risk to them and to you. And so those are some real practical decisions sometimes we need to make. And it's been interesting. I've I've looked a little bit and listened a little bit to some of the different church leaders through church history because we've had we've had pandemics and plagues that are absolutely much worse than what we're going through. Uh, Fifty to sixty percent of Europe died at one point, and and churches uh, as a whole and, and individual Christians and Christian leaders had to make big decisions. Do I do I leave? Do I leave Europe? Do I leave or do I stay and minister and and you know trust God and you know, those, those are not clear decisions sometimes about what to do. So we've heard the term never waste a crisis in a political context. Um, well, I think we could say that in a spiritual context. Don't waste a crisis. This is, this is possibly the time to, again, test your Christian character, test your light, salt and lights of the world. Like This is the time that your difference, uh, your light might shine in a brighter way than, than it ever could. Um, outside of crisis. And so there is a real sense that we thank God for this crisis um, in, the, in that way, that we, we look forward to the chances of sharing the gospel to those who might not have been open, um, having a chance to help our neighbor in need in a way when before they would have said, I have no needs, I don't need you. So let's look for those opportunities. Uh, third, uh, the perfect righteousness of fulfill, uh, fulfilling the law of God. Are you serving in the new way of the spirit or in the old way of the written code from Romans 7, 6? Are you, are you listening to the different laws of our authorities, um, looking for ways to exploit loopholes or, you know, vagueness of speech? Or are you really submitting to authorities? Like, is that your spirit? And can people see that in you? In chapter 6, we got into uh, what does it mean to practice righteousness? First of all, in our what we call religious life, so you have the serving of other or the giving to the needy, you have prayer and you have fasting and you kind of see that in the categories of, of your relationship to others, your relationship to God and, and kind of relationship to yourself and self-discipline. So you could ask questions like this. Are you actually giving to those in need? I mean, the, in chapter six, Jesus assumes you give to the needy. It's, it's a matter of what your motives are. Are you being a hypocrite? Are you doing it for show? But he absolutely assumes that's what you do. I mean, that's a very practical question. For those of us who have kept our jobs and have all types of financial security, are we, are we happy to give to others? Are, are we more worried about our 401ks going down? Are we, are, are we looking for opportunities to give to those? And I would think particularly in Las Vegas where our economy will probably be down for quite a while. Um, you know, are you preparing for that? In your budget, are you, do you have capacity to sit and wait and, and have a chance to give to others? Or are you going to hoard everything you can? Um, you look at the Lord's Prayer. Do you pray? Uh, and do your prayers reflect the, Lord, reflect the Lord's Prayer? Um, we haven't gone through that as a class specifically, but there, are, there are, there's a way of praying. It's not like a code, like every time you pray, these are the words you mouth. But there, there are principles there in the Lord's Prayer that, that lean on God and, and focus on his holiness and and forgive others and daily uh, turn to him. 
It is, is that filling your heart more than the fret of the future? And then we looked at uh, things about personal life, like treasures in heaven, serving God, not money and not worrying. So I asked questions like this. Are you devastated seeing your retirement account sink? Um, we ought to know that earthly treasure is at risk of mobs and thieves and viruses. Or are you find yourself happily trusting in God's provision, able to not worry about those things? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. And then into chapter 7, which I will now teach on for next week. Um, do not judge others. Rather, do unto others as you would have them do to you. Basically, love your neighbor. Uh, James 4 tells us, do, you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, "The Lord, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Uh, oh, that actually applied to the end of chapter 7. Sorry. Living in light of God's eternal judgment. Um, do, do, you, do you live as one who sees life as temporary? Um, and how I live and how I react will be judged by God. And that eternity is all that matters. Um, it really is. Our life is just a mist. And it, does that, is that true of you? And, and I don't mean to say these things in a way that, you know, how dare you, you're a horrible Christian. But these are, these are opportunities that God might be showing sin, um, doubt, and fear in our hearts. And it's a great chance to turn to God in a new and a special way. All right, so now I want to talk about, just briefly, um, the whole concept of, of really making sure in your discussions, in your opinions, um, just understanding things that are explicitly biblical truth, and then other things that are more fall in the, the category of practical wisdom. And that, that those aren't really distinct categories, per se, because Christians should be the most rational people of all. It's only our worldview that really accounts for the laws of logic. Um, we, we are happy to follow evidence where it goes. We're, we're, we are not afraid that scientists are going to discover some new thing that will undo all of our beliefs. Because we know that our God created this world. And we ought to be unashamed anytime our beliefs um, stand in contrast to the cultural views around us. Um, back in the social justice, I kind of laid out some of my my quote rules for how to discuss these types of things. Uh, one of them was to be gospel centered. You know, keep the main thing, the main thing. You, you got to really think about who you're talking about with these things. There's a, there's a time and a place for deep, detailed, passionate discussion on, on your views of, of the science or specific laws and the constitutional nature, the federalism of our government and different political things. There's a time for that. Just, just be aware that, you know, are you talking with a believer that really needs Christ and their views of this are really kind of meaningless? Now, if you can use specific questions and discussions to get to the broader themes, that's great. Do it. Um, don't, don't lose the war for the sake of a battle. You know, don't lose some political discussion. Um, and, and now, okay, and your, your neighbor is still going to hell because he doesn't know Jesus. You know, so just, just think about that. Uh, one of the practical things I talked about last summer was maybe ask what if questions. 
So you focus on values and not statistics. So this is what I mean. Say there's all sorts of discussion in the news about the different science and the different models, um, or you know your different laws and and what's an appropriate law, what's constitutional, not. But we need we need answers that work for all Christians in all places in all of history. Um, there there is a time to get really specific, but so for instance, what if the science actually showed more people would die from a lockdown? Would you change your mind? That that's the way to frame a question. Versus I'm going to have my stats and I'm going to argue against your stats and we're going to fight over statistics that probably neither of us is an expert in. Okay, but what if it was? And so now you, you're not really fighting over reality. You're kind of fighting over the values that are involved because you want to get to values. You want to get to biblical principles. What if the science showed that one in 50 elderly would likely die if we gather in church and sing together? Would you change your mind? Again, it's a what if question. Uh, what what if you lived in another country like the UK? They don't have a constitution. So so much for all your federalism discussions and your 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 appeal to a constitution. What do you say to a Christian in the UK? Or what about a hostile nation like Iran? I mean, how much are you really going to care about the the lockdown policies in a place that doesn't even let you worship? Um, and so. Again, it's not bad to think about your specific situation. You want to be salt and light in your specific location. Um, and yet, you don't want to avoid these broad questions that, well, you know, what if the virus did act in a different way? What if it really killed 50% of the people? They'd probably lock down more, right? And so there's still uh, questions out there to, to run to the Bible. Now, this is all quite different than maybe, say, the elders appealing to the governor. Um, you know, they, they're probably going to include a lot of legal arguments that help their case, like Paul did in Acts 16 and Acts 22, and he used his Roman citizenship to avoid punishment. There's a time to use your specific laws um, and a lot of practical wisdom. Again, it depends on who you're talking to, what your purpose of your discussion is. And this is something I, I listened to a, uh, a podcast this week between two um, Anglican uh, vicars in the UK. One was a little more pro-lockdown, one was a little anti-lockdown. And it was a really interesting discussion. Um, and they took us back in history. There was a time in history where, you know, there was no such thing as any kind of a state welfare safety net. Um, you know, you, you lived in a place that was dog-eat-dog, -dog and, you know, if, if, if you got hurt and got crippled and lost your job, sorry. There was nothing, there's nothing there from a state perspective. You, you know, you turned into a beggar or a private charity. And there was, so there was a time when the Christian church had come in and be really were, were the salt and light. Like they were the ones building the hospitals and caring for the poor and building orphanages. And they were the safety net in a society. Well, a lot of us now enjoy, uh, enjoy governments and societies that have been influenced by that prophetic voice of the church. And thank God for it, right? We, we now have a Western democracy of laws that is very much built on Old Testament principles. Um, we have safety nets involved, and so it's not just the church now that can be that safety net. But that does come with a with the real hard question. So what is the role of the church now? Do, do we continue caring for the poor, for instance, or caring for the sick today by jumping in bed with the state and helping that? Or some people want to distinguish themselves completely so that the state doesn't get the credit God does. And you can see how Christians will come to, to really different views of this. Um, and so it's, you know, as we're, we're in the realm of practical wisdom, we, we got to show a lot more grace. 
uh, a lot more patience. It, once we don't have chapter and verse to cite, we, get, we just got to be careful. Have your own opinion. Paul even says, as, as he's saying, the strong and the weak brothers should not condemn each other. Certainly come to your own opinion. But again, keep the main thing the main thing. Um, not everything is as black and white as maybe you think, just because you have a, you know, a really passionate view on it. All right, and here's just, I'm sure there are more we could cite here. Here's the type of way I would look at a discussion. So I'll, I'll just create, I'll create a controversy that's not there. <laughs> Pro-lockdown versus anti-lockdown. This is just an example of how you might have a discussion. Now, hopefully, by the very fact that my first row there pits love of neighbor against love of God, should immediately make every Christian say, wait, that can't be. Something's wrong here. There's no way that loving neighbor can ever be pitted against love of God. And so, if you're passionately on one side of these or another, if 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 you feel like those on the other side um, are just definitely wrong, we just again have to be a little careful. Here's some verses. So loving your neighbor, I mean that that's a clear issue involved, right? We don't want our neighbors, our brothers and sisters, to get sick. And so, whatever the attempt is, what do we think about the science and the politics? If if your love of neighbor doesn't ooze out of you uh, and in your discussions, there's a problem with that. Philippians 2, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of, of others. So if, if your main concern is some individual rights um, rather than what's good for your neighbor, I think we can safely say you, you've gone too far. You're holding your position in an unbiblical way. There's, I'm not saying there's not a place for the discussion on individual rights, but does it override a clear biblical command to love your neighbor? First Peter 2, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak you against evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God in the day of visitation. Just a reminder that how we conduct ourselves is actually a testimony for good or bad in our society. And then I think the second major biblical category the pro-lockdown would, would talk about is obviously submit to authorities. Uh, and these are kind of the ABCs. If, if, if the category of submission to authorities comes up, there are certain passages you should just know that exist. The, these are things that I think everyone in this class ought to know offhand and not need on a slide. Not specific verses per se, but maybe the chapter to run to. So Romans 13, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there's no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. He is God's servant for your good. So it's really interesting that Paul calls the government, governing the authorities, uh, servants, they're the, literally the deacons. So the, the governing authorities are deacons from God. And so the way you, this is a really important question. Um, not only the general principle to submit to authorities, but even when, when you feel you need to go against them, is it, is it in a submissive way um, that holds true these principles? First Peter 2 would be very similar. Um, how about on the, the anti-lockdown? You say love of God, or specifically maybe obeying God. So in, in the whole idea of submitting to authority, we have Acts 4, where, you know, so they called them and ch charged them to speak, not to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. So if you're, if in your conscience, you believe you're at the point of having to choose between submitting to government or submitting to God, Clearly, you submit to God. 
So now the only question is, is, you know, what has God actually commanded? Hebrews 10 is the common one about not neglecting to meet together. Does that verse command you to meet every Sunday together as a church? If you say yes, then obviously you're going to submit to that and you'll break the governing authorities. But if that's more of a general principle and not a specific command, maybe there's some leeway. But then the question is, well, how long? Like, how, how long am I neglecting fellowship? Is that a month? Is that six months? And that's where you get into the more the practical, precise discussion where we might not have a specific answer. Or you're, you're just your general views on the Sabbath here. Another category I'd consider is the higher your view is of the church and the sacraments, the faster you're going to want to meet together. What do I mean by that? Some Christians uh, don't put a lot into the sacraments. And so it's not a big deal if they go six months or a year. Um, you know, let's, let's be on the side of safety and stay home. And, you know, we can still Zoom and we can call and uh, we can still fellowship in certain ways. And, and that's okay. Where other people are, no, there's, you know, if there's actually a, a transfer of grace, um, an inferring of grace in the sacraments, that means you're not going to get that grace um, until you do it, until you get, come together and perform those. And so the higher you view there, it matters. What about, we often say, well, the church isn't the building, it's the people. So you could argue, well, the government has not shut down the church. They're not singling out the church because you can still be the church. They're not saying not to believe in Jesus. They're letting you Zoom. Um, and other people would say, no, you're, to be the people of God means physical contact. And there's even some people who would say, well, the building is important. You know, the higher church you are, the more important that you can even just see it in the architecture of, of high church buildings where, you know, the building points to God and it's grand and majestic. And um, some people think that's good for the soul. And in a time when people are fearful, this is a time to meet and point them to God, not keep them away from a place that, that has a lot of value to them. And so you will have these different discussions. And in the end, obviously, um, you don't want to judge or despise your brother in things where we don't have a clear command one way or the other. And if you saw my Sunday school invite on Facebook, um, clearly that was purposely fake news. Um, there is no one singular way, in my opinion, um, uh, to respond to this. And the last thing I did, I just want to say again, um, we need to obey our leaders. Um, Obey your leaders, submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. I'm sure your elder is, what, is excited to take your phone call or your email um, questions about all this, if, if it's done in a submissive way, in a Christ-honoring way. And I am sure that they would groan if you do it in another spirit, and you're going to make that call and that decision difficult for them. And that's of no advantage to us. So if, if you ever feel like complaining, and this would go for all the time, if you ever want to complain about those appointed over you and you've not yet prayed for them uh, and have a heart of submission to them, then, then maybe start there. Um, and that's what I have. So I'd like to just go into discussion now. Um, specific things you might consider in the discussion is, you know, I had the table there. Well, what... First of all, what passage and shoes maybe have been a blessing to you during this time? There's, there's been some specific psalms that have been a real blessing to me as I consider these things. 
Um, so maybe there's been something that's really helped you and your family that you want to share. And then also, when you look at that table, I just brought up a couple of biblical principles that might be involved, but what other ones um, should we be thinking about? And I just want to emphasize biblical principles. If, if anyone wants to quote the law of the Constitution today, I, then I'm, that's fine. I'm just going to challenge you to prove that from the Bible, that that's where we need to stand. Um, hold your government positions. I love it. I have quite strong political positions. But again, the question today is, what is a, a Christian response? Not a Democrat or a Republican response, per se. Okay, so with that, I'm going to open it up. Come on, chickens. Keith, I don't know if it's a matter of being. Go ahead. Oh, this is Josh. Um, I was just going to say, in terms of uh, biblical principles, one of the things that sticks out to me is, you know, what's described in the fruit of the spirit, uh, as the fruit of the spirit, and in how we relate to people. So there's, I think there's, we have to think about the substance of our position, uh, looking at the principles that you. Um, certainly outlined, but um, along with conforming the substance of our position to what the Bible teaches, we really need to make sure that the uh, way that we're communicating our position is consistent with what it looks like to be a Christian and what it looks like to be indwelled with the Holy Spirit. And um, you can be right and communicated in all the wrong ways. Amen. Ed, did you have something? I've been uh, thinking about the passage in Zechariah that says, do not despise the day of small things. But sometimes when you feel like uh, what I'm doing really isn't that impactful. Um, if it's done with the intent of serving the Lord and it's done with a, the right heart, then there's nothing that is too minor. And it's also, I, I think the, the meta issue for me is it's made me realize how precious coming together as God's people. God has allowed this season so that when we do come back together again, we're going to have a whole new appreciation of the sweetness of being together as a church family. And uh, like you said, you know, we've had these technological abilities with Zoom and with Facebook to be able to be together. I think if anything, as I've talked to people, it's brought people closer together. So uh, the Lord in his wisdom has allowed this. Um, it, it take, takes us out of our, our normal day-to-day -day life and, and has, has fractured that, that sense of uh, independence and self-reliance we've seen how unself-reliant we are how i've seen this especially in my clients i had a client that, that passed with covid so it's, it's very it's very close it's very real um and i'm hoping as a result of this that that uh, you know we will show charity and mercy and, and love to those that disagree with us and that we will uh, support and understand you know give a 
a new level of understanding to those which may, may see things as different. Um, but I'm looking forward to, as I said, you know, next week will be a joyous time to have God's people, at least some of God's people together. So that's all I, that's all I have to say. I think there's a, there's a corollary prayer there because in some ways it's been really nice to roll out of bed and just go to the TV, go to the living room and have the dog on the lap and, and have church. And there's a comfort factor there that, you know, I want to be able to pray and, and not, you know, desire to, to linger longer than need be. And, and I, I do fear that there will be some people who just, Oh, we can just do church at home. What's the big deal? Um, and I, so I do hope that there's that hungering for the fellowship and, and community and, and if we're not feeling that, that's probably something we need to take before the Lord as well. But I've heard lots of reports where lots of churches are getting more people dialing in for a service than ever attend. And so that's, that's some good news as well, that God is using it. Anyone else? Uh, what case one more just kind of practical thing that I've been thinking about with this is that um, that we ought to be giving people the benefit of the doubt in terms of where their motivations are. It's oftentimes when you get into something where you have a strong feeling and are arguing or debating or whatever, uh, we tend to uh, I think it's human nature to just kind of assume the worst in people or at least not actively think about that their motivations, um, you know, maybe to seek the good. And so I think that that is the helpful thing to remind ourselves so that we can communicate in humility and love to people. Yeah, definitely. What about the real, the real, go, ahead, go ahead. Hey, this is this is Jan Gonzalez. Hey, Jan. You know, um, being in the position that I've I've been in for the last uh, few weeks or so, you really um, see the importance of uh, the Lord's Supper and the grace that is received at the Lord's Supper that gives us the ability to do those things and to touch the hem of his garment, so to speak, that we can't have in a normal situation. It's because it's extraordinary grace. And for myself, I have really, really missed it and I don't know when I will be able to go back, but um, it's it's something that that um, the church never needs to should never lose sight of, you know, because it is um, a special time of grace and a special time of of 
pouring out your heart before the Lord, and we need that in this hour. We need it desperately in this hour. And so um, I, that's my two cents. <laughs> yeah, I, I wonder if, if we were in a, a different type of virus, or maybe it becomes this, where you're no kidding locking down for a year because it's that bad. Um, you know, what people would say, like, even if you agree that normally, you know, in our, in our tradition, only the teaching elders, the pastors can, um, can administer sacraments. Would there be, um, you know, allowances made in situations like this? That might be something that, a you know, general presbytery would, the general assembly would, would discuss and I'm sure different denominations would have different views of that. Well, we wouldn't normally sanction this, but in this case, maybe a community group leader or a father or whatever um, has Lord's Supper. So you'd probably have different views there as well. Hmm. Keith, I think it's important to remember also that if you're using these discussions to hone your debate skills, um, you're, you're losing already. Like you're, you're losing before it begins. Um, and if, if you have, if you, the other thing I think that, you, uh, that we all should uh, be mindful of is if you're preparing your next point while your brother or sister is speaking, um, you know, you're losing as well. You both are. Yeah, Robbie Zacharias, who just passed, for those that know him, he, he was, one of his main points was, you're not dealing with an argument, you're dealing with a person. And, and someone's question or argument always comes from some experience. So don't, don't just take that argument at face value per se. Um, really get to know their heart. Maybe with some of the elders that are online, what have been specific things like, like how long do you go? Because clearly we have made the decision to not meet in person. Some churches never stopped meeting just out of their own convictions. We've clearly been happy to, to go with guidelines or love of neighbor. I don't know what has driven us more, just the simple health or specific laws, but is just a discussion on the length, like how far do you go? I don't know if that's been part of your discussion or anybody's thoughts on that. Um, like, how do you set a timeline? It seems so arbitrary. Well, by the nature of what uh, the governor has um, mandated, I think, you know, trying to abide by the Romans 13, if it had gone much longer though, I, I think there would be more discussion both in the part of the session and the part of God's people. It seems that we're at a point now where we're ready. People are anxious. We're seeing a lot of emails from folks about you know, how, long, how much longer. So, but the prevailing attitude on this, you know, I, I can't speak for my brothers, but my prevailing is we need to abide by what, you know, what, what has been said. If it had been unreasonable, if Sisolak and the governor had said, okay, we're going through December, then no. I don't see that as tenable, but um, I certainly, you know, the other, the, the more important issue to me is the, the, 
putting anyone at risk. We have a lot of seniors and uh, you know, the potential for, I, I just grew the idea that we could ever possibly put anybody at risk. And that's why when we're talking about the, the practical steps of this, of taking, making sure they're disinfected, making sure that the seats are wet, you know, doing all the practical things to ensure that we're not putting anybody at risk. Um, that, that, that's, you know, that's been our main focus. Keith, that's Dave again. Um, I've been thinking uh, very recently uh, about um, the uh, Babylonian captivity uh, and how long the people of God were separated from the place where God told them to worship. And, you know, I mean, it's a few months for us, uh, but it was decades upon decades for them. Um, and it's... Uh, how how long do you go? Um, I, you know, I don't know. <laughs> uh, and uh, so it's been a, you know, a burden and a weight on my mind thinking about um, the uh, thinking about what God is trying to tell us or trying to tell us is telling us uh, in in separating us from each other, in separating us from His house, um, and also from uh, His table. Uh, and I think that's the the part that has um, uh, hurt and and gotten to me the most is that uh, the the Lord has denied uh, me and my brothers and my sisters, my my daughter, my wife, access to His table. Um, and uh, why is that? Um, and to to consider that is I think uh, um, very important. This is, this is definitely been a moment where um, the passage where Jesus warns the, the rich owner that is building extra barns, do you not know that this next day your soul will be required of you? I mean, this has been a season that has so fractured our reality and driven us to understand our, our need for independence upon, upon God's sovereign control of things. Keith, I very much agree with uh, uh, David McGuire. I agree with him. Why, you know, has has the church come before the Lord and asked him, um, you know, is there something, is, is there areas in our lives, in our churches, where we have sinned against him that has been grievous to him? Because, uh, he was upset with Israel because they didn't worship him in spirit and in truth. They, they, they didn't worship him the way that he wanted to be worshipped. And so he was always angry with them. And so now we, we have Christ as our Savior. Um, it's not the same as there, but we still have, are there things in uh, the life of the church that he is upset with? I mean, he, he, is, he says in Psalms 50, he, he tells the world to come before him. Come before him and worship him. So he calls the whole world into account. So this is what he's doing this time. He's calling the whole world into account. And I think, I think we really need to take a look at that. 
Yeah, we mentioned First Peter 4 a couple times the last couple weeks. It's time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And, and I don't know if we can ever absolutely say, well, this crisis is based on this specific sin or there's a judgment in a sense. But in one sense, in, in Peter's idea of what that means, it's that refining fire that's testing our, our faith. And so in, in one sense, it doesn't matter like why the judgment is there, why the, why the purification is going on. Um, if it's for a specific judgment of sin or if it's just the general desire of God to, you know, he doesn't want us to love the world. And so sometimes he takes, he, he makes the world not very lovable. And that's a good thing for his children to no longer put their, their hope in their earthly treasures. Um, really focuses our priorities. And certainly any kind of hardship, that, that is a proper response. But it, it could very well be judgment for specific sins. There's no doubt about it. And, and obviously as Christians, as, as children of God, that means it's, it's a discipline that's for our good not really for our, our punishment in that sense. It's a great reminder, hopefully to everybody, to the whole world, that your life is going to end. Um, and there's something else, something else you need to be clinging to. You know, if you, if you don't repent, you will likewise perish. And I know I, I put politics in the in the practical wisdom category, but there are obviously intersections there. Like, kind of depends on your view of the of the church and the world. How separate we are. Are we to be a prophetic voice? We talked about that last summer with social justice. That what is the church's role in society? What is the priority of societal issues inside the church? Um, and, and one of you made the comment about. You know, where do we stand up and say, wait a minute, it's, it's not your place, governing authority, to tell me what's essential, when church is, quote, essential. Um, and so although it is a different realm, there is, a, there is an intersection there. At some point, the right witness to the world, what it means to be salt and light, means to, to take a stand against the governing authorities. And, and again, that, that takes a lot of wisdom to know when that is. And maybe time for one last comment. Well, I think the great sinfulness of our culture is seen in the fact that many governors have said church attendance is not essential, but abortion clinics are. So, it, you know, it, it's, it's, we are right for judgment. We, we have so stood against the things of God. And, uh, just pray for, just pray for his mercy upon this nation, especially in light of last week it's been an awful week. And, uh, I, I fear for you know, I fear for the country it's, it's, the rest as I said the rest isn't the, the rest is, is that God is God is sovereign and he knows how this will all work out but the rest of that alone so thank you for the discussion Keith I really appreciate it All right, one reference, I, I have not read the book, but I've, I've seen two interviews by uh, John Lennox. He has produced a little booklet called Where is God in a Coronavirus World? 
So that's, that's one reference if anyone wants to think through these things. And there's lots of church leaders out there I've seen on podcasts and YouTube who are answering these questions. So um, there's lots of help. Okay, so again, for next week, um, probably not live, but if not, then there should be a Sunday school hanging there by Sunday um, on our last study on what does it mean to, to judge others will be the focus there. Ed, would you mind closing us in prayer? Certainly. Father God, we thank you that we indeed can rest in your sovereign control. Father, we know that many hearts are hurting, not only because of the coronavirus and all that has happened as a result of that, but also in the results of our country in this last week. Father God, it, it, is, it is such reflection of human sin and of the darkness of our hearts and how quickly and thin the veneer of civilization is. Father, we thank you that we can rest in you despite what we see that's going on. We pray that as we think about the Sermon on the Mount all the rich teaching that is there, that you would help us truly to be salt and light in the culture and to apply it in a way that is pleasing and holy to you. And now, Father, we pray for Tim and for Dan Phillips as they lead us in service. I pray that you would help have our hearts be tender to hearing the word, and that as your people, that we would take that and apply it in the week ahead in the spheres of our work and our families. I thank you for the people of Spring Meadows, Father, for their patience and for their love, and I pray that you would draw our hearts together. And now as we go into worship, that it would truly be a time that is pleasing in your sight. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. And have a good worship service and a good week, everyone. Thank you, Keith. Thank you. Thank you, Keith. Thank you.